Well, good morning again. My name is Ben Seneker, and uh, filling in for Patrick this morning, he is uh, with his family camping, uh, and um, so I get to be with you all this morning. Quick recap, we are going through chapters 5, 6, five, six and 7 of the book of Matthew. Collectively, those three chapters are uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we've been in this um, portion of Matthew now for a few months. So far, we've looked at the Beatitudes, how Jesus begins uh, his sermon with these uh, statements of blessing. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Uh, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Um, but now what happened, or well, last week, if, if you were here, there was a change. Uh, the sermon kind of took a turn. And uh, Jesus started talking about salt and light. And then he makes this profound statement at verse 17 of chapter 5 in which Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus is beginning his public ministry. Crowds are starting to follow him. He goes up on this mountain. He sits down and begins teaching to his disciples and then others who will listen. Teachers of the law start coming. Uh, they're starting to watch Jesus, not really sure what he's up to. He's doing some strange things like healing on the Sabbath. And they're starting to wonder, if, is, he gonna, is he trying to just throw out everything that has come before us? And so he says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And, and what's really important for us is, starting this morning, we're now moving into another portion of his sermon that it would be really helpful for us to keep that statement that he's not come to abolish but to fulfill. Keep that in the back of our minds as we go through this next five or six weeks because he's going to talk about very specific things, topics, like this morning is anger. But he's going to begin each of those statements with this. He's going to say, you have heard it said this, but I say that. And if we're honest, that certainly sounds like someone who is tossing out the old and bringing in something new, but he just got finished saying, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So where is the, uh, there, what, where's the disconnect? Something is, something is there that we need to, uh, to look at. And so that's what we're going to be doing starting this morning. Topic of anger. Just real quick, heads up, next Sunday, the topic is lust. Um, it's not going to be scandalous or anything like that, but parents do just keep that in mind. That's the topic for next Sunday if you want to make arrangements for your kiddos. Um, but anyway, this morning is about anger. So if you could please, I know it's been a lot of up, down, up, down, up, down. Uh, but if you could please stand, look at Josh. Good. Wow. <laughs> if you could please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew 5, uh, beginning at verse 21. So here's Jesus. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard word, but we thank you for it. Spirit, give us 
eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you have to say to us. Restrain my own tendency, my own desire to, uh, I don't know, stray from what it is that you have to say. May your word to us be proclaimed clearly. Keep me faithful to the text. Convict us, Father, but as you convict us, drive us into the arms of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. You can be seated. This past Tuesday, I was at one of my favorite coffee shops uh, in West Asheville. Uh, I have offices pretty much all over West North Carolina. They're all coffee shops. And this one in West Asheville, I was, I was sitting there. And let me just set the scene for you. Um, it's odds, if you, know that, that, if you know that coffee shop. I was sitting there with my little computer doing my little thing. And uh, not three feet to my left was a youngish couple, or 20s or so, uh, very much in love. And, and very much open about how much they care for each other. And that was happening right there. Um, down the row to my right, uh, about 20 feet away, was a guy in his mid-30s. And he was in a business meeting through the interwebs. And he had, it on his, he had like a headphone thing covering all of his ears. And he had a microphone kind of like what I'm wearing. And he's, having, he's in a meeting. Um, but that guy was talking so loud for really any social setting, especially at a coffee shop. Guy was, I think he just couldn't hear how loud he was maybe because his ears were covered. But that dude was loud. Diagonally from me, maybe you can see the pattern forming. Diagonally from me, um, there was a guy, bless his heart, um, who was, he, he was sick. He had a cold, a head cold. And uh, what he was doing was every 24 to 27 seconds, I wasn't really paying much attention to him, but he was wiping his nose with the napkins and he wasn't crumpling it up all the way, just kind of half crumpling it and just putting it on the table as he continued to work. So as, you know, one hour passes, two hours pass, it's this growing mound of mucus infused napkins. (laughs) To top it all off, the music, which was way too loud, was this hybrid of like hipster jazz, emo, indie rock. And uh, every song was about 20 minutes long. Um, it was at this, well, and I kept like looking around trying to get other people's attention, like worker, like people behind the counter or just other customers, like surely someone notices what is happening. Like there's got to be someone that I can look at and kind of roll my eyes with about all these other people. But no one was from the outside bothered by what was definitely bothering me. No one, I, was, I, was, I wasn't able to engage with anyone about all this stuff. And it seemed like no one was paying attention to these clear violations of what is proper and decent for a functioning society. <laughs> and it was at this moment, actually, that, um, and I'm not making it up, and I know it's kind of funny or whatever, but this was all true that I'm saying. And it was at this moment that I put the book down that I was reading And the irony of everything hit me. Um, This is a book called Good and Angry (laughs) by David Paulson. Highly recommended. I don't know if you're familiar with this guy. 
Um, he could use your prayers, suffering from cancer right now. But uh, Paulson writes this book, Good and Angry. I promise I don't work for him. I'm not getting anything in return for this. But if you want to explore this topic of anger further, uh, this would be a good place to, to go. And, um, I, but I kind of set it down, realized what is happening, and then I kind of skewed it. And I did this. I did this. I scooted it to the edge of my table, hoping the lovebirds next to me would see it and like self-correct or something. Um, but of course, they, they weren't paying attention at all to me. But I was, I, was getting, I was getting angry. I was annoyed, yes. I was annoyed by these, by these things happening. But it had gone beyond annoyance. If I, if I, when I reflect on it, I was angry and i and i'm sure that we can all relate to this emotion of anger this isn't anything new maybe you are the ones expressing it maybe at other times you're the one receiving the anger maybe you're observing it but i'm sure that we can all relate to this i don't have to go down a list of things and like tell me when you start getting angry let's talk about this 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 and it reminded me of this far side cartoon there's so much theology in far side cartoons but uh, and i also i don't know what my thing is about bulls last time i preached this whole thing on ferdinand i don't know if you remember that but uh here's a bull in therapy and the caption reads now relax just like last week i'm going to hold the red cape up for a count of 10 when you start getting angry i'll put it back down <laughs> and i have this i this thought that like I could just start mentioning different things and just feel when the room starts to get angry. I don't have to do that. We can relate. When I say anger, our minds go in a lot of different areas. The issue that Jesus is addressing, the issue that we're going to be talking about, is not our awareness or our present or, or the awareness of the presence of anger. We 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 were familiar with this. It is it is something very normal about being a human to experience anger that's not the problem the problem is what we do with it how we handle our anger um and also where does our anger um originate what are what are the red capes so that's a question for you what are the red capes in your life those things that when you see it makes you start to get angry even things you just hear about uh, you you observe on the news or whatever you just start getting angry what is it Another problem that we need to consider this morning is the fact that we have confused good anger with bad anger. And there's this thought that if you're a Christian, you can't get angry, which is not true. We see Jesus getting angry, um, but with a good, righteous anger, one that leads others to repentance. Paulson actually argues in his book, and this is uh, not really the topic for this morning, but he does make the uh, argument that some of us should actually become a little more angry, that we've become indifferent or complacent to, to some of the things that are happening around us. And this argument that looks at how God uses anger for good, leading others to repentance, and comparing that with how we tend to use our anger, which is to destroy to tear down, to win, to carry out our own sense of justice, and so on. But there's a, a deeper problem still, and this is the one that Jesus is really getting at in the passage, and it's this. It's the problem of forgetting just how dangerous our unchecked, destructive anger can be. It's lethal, even to the, 
degree of affecting our souls. Not those who are in Christ, that is secure. But this is just a very serious problem that we need to address. That we, just like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, feel that as long as we're not physically attacking someone, and in the extreme sense murdering someone, we're fine. And God's fine with it. God's fine with our anger. The sixth commandment says not to murder. And as long as we're not doing that, we're fine to get angry at whoever, whatever, whenever the situation, it doesn't matter. Alone in my car, someone cuts me off. I'm totally justified to unleash wrath upon them. Jesus, in this passage, is firmly, lovingly, yes, but firmly contradicting that line of thinking. And he is, in fact, showing us that the problem is far more severe and more serious than what we tend to think about concerning our anger. So let's look at the passage. Let me reread verses 21 and 22. Uh, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 21 is that verse I was talking about earlier where it sounds like he's tossing out the old and bringing in something entirely new. And yes, it is true that in his life, death, resurrection, Jesus is ushering in a newness, but not at the expense of the old. He is fulfilling it. You've heard it said to those of old, their ancestors, those who are at the foot of Mount Sinai when Moses was receiving the law, you shall not murder. This is the sixth commandment that he's referring to. But Jesus keeps going and he gives these examples. One who is angry, one who insults. Some of your translations may include the word raka. Uh, This is an Aramaic word for someone who is empty-headed. It's an insulting word, um, pejorative word to someone, uh, or someone who calls his brother a fool. And by the way, brother here is just humankind. It's not someone necessarily just within the church or anything. This is just another human saying these things, thinking these things make us liable to judgment. And it's tempting when you, when you read that passage, those two verses, and you hear these different categories, it's tempting to say, okay, well, if I do that one, I'm okay, but got to stay away from that one or, or whatever. We try to formulate it. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying not to do. That's what he's calling out the Pharisees for doing. That's what he's calling us out to do, to, to take his law and try to parse it, out and parse it into these different sections of do's and don'ts. This was uh, not just about certain thoughts, words, or actions. What you can say, what you can't say. What is going on here, Jesus is reminding us, is issues of the heart. That's what he's after. Matthew 12, a few chapters uh, beyond what we're looking at, Matthew 12, Jesus even says, quoting a proverb, what comes out of your mouth flows from the heart. And I think we can responsibly include in that what thoughts you have proceed from the heart. What comes out of your mouth proceeds from the heart. And the mistake is that the Jewish leaders at the time actually had too small of a view of the law. That it was only about do's and don'ts. But again, Jesus didn't set out to merely enforce do's and don'ts. Nor did he come to say that that no longer matters. Again, he's not abolishing the law. But what he did come to do was to pay the penalty for our inability to keep the law and also 
to open up the way for the Spirit to enter in and renew our minds, renew our hearts, turn us into a new people who, if you remember one of the passages from last week, Jeremiah 31, have the law written on our hearts. Jesus comes to open that way, to open it up so the Spirit can enter in and begin that work, writing the law on our hearts. So everything that you see on the outside is flowing from a renewed heart within. When I was sitting in that coffee shop this past week, becoming so angry at the people around me, what I was doing was carrying out the entire judicial process in my mind, I was the prosecutor, I was the jury, I was the judge, and I was even, in this sense, the executioner. These were my laws they were violating. I had placed myself on the throne, and I was proclaiming everyone around me to be guilty. And maybe you can relate to having these rules, these laws that you expect others, others to uh, abide by, that, that are not just social mores, mores or social norms or whatever, but these are just stuff that you feel is important. The first, and sorry, Janae, I didn't clear you with this before, but um, my wife and I, when we were first married, spent a couple of years trying to figure out what those rules were. I, I'm going to share this one, and we can delete it out for it won't be on the website or whatever, but I had this one that, like, the, the toilet seat should be down the top of it when you're not using it. That was one of my rules. I know it's weird, especially because I'm, I'm a guy, but when the bathroom is not being used, everything should be in its place and closed. That was a source of some issues between us. That was one of my laws. That was one. And maybe, yeah, that was, maybe I shouldn't have said that one. Um, there are tons of others, but... Um, <laughs> Toilet paper, does it roll over? Does it roll under? You know, again, I, sorry, I don't have to like go down this list. You guys know what I'm talking about. We come to different situations, relationships, whatever, with laws. And when those laws are broken, we get angry. And again, coffee shop this past week, this is, this is what I was doing. I was carrying out this judicial process on everyone. They were all guilty. But the thing is, they were not sinning against me. I was reacting as if they were committing some grave sin, but they were not sinning against... That poor guy with the cold, he was just doing his work and happened to have a cold. And these are minor issues. I mean, I, I, I get it. These, these are minor things that I was talking about, and it may sound like I'm overthinking them. I really don't think I am. But what about the more serious ones? Let's, let's go there. Let's press into this a little bit. What about the good anger? That I was mentioning before. What about those situations where we see people clearly violating God's law? Lying, for example. Do we have a responsibility to become angry at them and call them out for it? Uh, We have to be careful, don't we, with this one. Uh, We have to be very careful. Matthew 18, if you know this passage, could apply, of course, that if someone sins against you, go to that person and talk about it. Instead of being sinned against and then just sort of being in the shadows talking about it. Go to that person. I had this happen to me about a month ago. I had sinned against someone. I didn't even know it, but I had. This guy comes to me and tells me, hey, you did this. It was hurtful. That was not cool. And it stung, but I was able to apologize. He forgave me. We moved through it. It still hurt. But it was absolutely biblical for, for what that guy did. 
I was blind to my own sin against him, but he came to me. So Matthew 18 can apply. Galatians 6 would be another one to think about. Galatians 6, 1, if you know this passage, it's a good one. If you see someone out of line of breaking God's law, go to them for what purpose? To destroy them? No, to restore them. How? In a spirit of gentleness. Paul is cautioning to restore with a spirit of gentleness. We have to be wise when we start casting those stones. We have to be very careful about not playing the vigilante, carrying out a crusade, enforcing God's law in the name of righteous anger whenever we see fit. That can cause so much damage. Perhaps you've experienced some of that. It can cause so much damage, especially when there's no relationship between you and that person. So uh, there's definitely caution has to be applied here. One more quick example with this idea of righteous anger. Our book of church order in our denomination, that, that, the constitution of our denomination, a third of it, 20 chapters, is devoted to this. 20 of its 63 chapters are devoted to this idea of discipline and restoration. That's how serious this is. But that's, all, that's, that's how methodical and thought out and wise this whole process should be. So we have to be very careful about how we act on our anger. God, if you remember, is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We are quick to anger. Uh, very, very quick. So we need to be careful. What I was doing at the coffee shop, man, I was not seeking the restoration of anybody. Uh, though I didn't say a word, I was looking on each of them with contempt. I had dehumanized them. I had reduced them from being an image bearer of God. I had reduced them to something subhuman. These people were violations personified. I, when I looked at them, I didn't see them as people. I saw them as violations of my law. And they needed to be corrected. They needed to be disciplined, not for their sake, but for my sake, my desire for justice. And again, it might not seem like a big deal, but Jesus, what he's saying in this passage is saying that what I was actually doing in that moment equates to murder. So yeah, this is a big deal. How big of a deal? Well, let's move on to the next two verses, verses 23 and 24. He explains it beginning at verse 23. And actually that so if the word there is actually therefore. So he's sort of built a case and then he says, therefore. So let's, let's go ahead and, and enact this. If you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're worshiping, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. It's such a big deal that Jesus says, you should even withhold your worship of him until you have addressed this. Make them wait while you go and address this. And it's interesting too, right? Verse 23, uh, you'd think that it would say, and if you remember that you've been angry with someone, go and be reconciled and then come back. But that's not what it says, does it? It says, if you remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, if you remember that your sinful anger against someone has so damaged the relationship that that person now has hurtful dare I say, anger towards you, 
Don't even worship God until you've gone to that person seeking reconciliation. That's how serious this is. It may take some time. That person may never forgive you. And that would be extremely difficult to bear. There may not be reconciliation. But Paul writes in Romans 12 something we need to consider. He says, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So long as it depends on you, you cannot control their actions, but you can control yours. And before we leave from this uh, passage, do you all know the next couple verses? Because they absolutely apply. Let's bring those up. He goes on to say, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so Paul says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. The Spirit may be, right now, placing someone in your mind, on your heart, that you need to seek out. That you need to confess your sin of anger to. Confess the role you played in that broken relationship. Own it. And pray that the Spirit brings about restoration. Will that be easy? No, that will not be easy. But what do you have to lose? Is it your identity? Well, your identity is in Christ. Is it your security? How secure were you to begin with? Plus, you are secure in Christ. Those things that we're wanting to hold on to, the fear of rejection, the the, the desire to save face, these are all remnants of our old selves. Behold, Christ is making all things new. And sometimes that means we have to lay aside those desires to hold on to my, my reputation, lay it down, and do what he's commanding here in love. Go to that person and confess how your sinful angry, anger has damaged the relationship. Because we've all done it. We're all, I mean, you want to talk about a passage that levels the playing field. I'm not saying that everyone in here has an anger problem. I'm not going to go that far. But at least we are guilty of contempt, of an anger that at least just in our minds breaks down instead of building up. And we are all certainly guilty of breaking God's perfect law, making him justifiably angry at us for our disobedience. And we need to sit in that for just a second. Justifiably angry. But then we have to go to the good news. And so let's go to the good news. God's not angry at you. And some of you really need to hear that this morning. God is not angry at you. And it's not because you're here this morning. It's not because of a tithe you put in the box. It's not because of a good deed you did this week. It's not, no. God is not angry with you because of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, all of God's anger and wrath for your and my inability to keep the law was poured out on him. Past, present, future, it is done. God's anger was satisfied it's not that he changed emotions and he kind of got over it and he realized oh yeah i was overreacting 
sorry, I'm no longer angry with you. No, he legally carried out his anger on Jesus. So legally, he's not. He can't be angry. Jesus absorbed all of that for us. Jesus won for us forgiveness, but he also won for us. So that's the good first half of the good news of, of, of the gospel. He, he won for us forgiveness. But then the second half is that he also won for us entrance into the family of God. We stand before God not only forgiven, but also welcomed in to be his child. And God loves you like his very own because you are. Jesus opened that door and now you are in. Jesus won and the Spirit guarantees our adoption into the family of God. And this truth changes us. The fact that God is no longer angry with you because of Christ has to change the way we view our own anger, view others when they break rules, laws that we create, or even God's own that leads us to a place of anger. It, it, it changes it. It redefines it. And the selfless act of Christ entering into our brokenness to win us back motivates us to do the same. To step out into a broken relationship, seeking restoration, especially when our own sin has led to that broken relationship. Remember, just a few verses ahead of this, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In terms of application, let me just leave you with these three things real quick. And they all require the active work of the Holy Spirit. This cannot be done on your own. Three things. First, let us become more aware of our anger. I find that I become angry so often so fast that it's become nor- it's the normal thing for me. Yeah, I'm angry again. There, there it has happened again. Driving home today, let's all become aware of our propensity to become angry at fellow drivers. Even though they may deserve... No, sorry. Um, (laughs) First thing, let us become more aware of our anger. What causes it? What's the red flag? Let's start looking for the red flags. What are those things that cause us to be angry? What do you do with your anger? I guess that's the other part of part one. Become more aware of it. What causes it? What do you do with it? And also keep in mind that anger isn't always hot and volatile. Sometimes it can be silent and cold as ice. Again, at the coffee shop, if you were to see look at me, I didn't look angry. Even though I was reading this book called Good and Angry. I didn't look angry, but man, I was just, I was, I was seething. Second point of application Ask yourself, once you've identified that anger, ask yourself, what part of the gospel am I not believing in this moment? What part of the gospel do I not believe that is leading to me responding in this way to this person or this topic or whatever it is? Identify it. Ask yourself, what am I not believing about the gospel? What is true about me in Christ in this moment that will change the way I respond? How does the gospel apply to whatever it is. What are you doubting? About? I could go on for a long time, but like, what, are, what are you doubting about God? That would change the way you view this situation. Thirdly, last one. Know that Jesus seeks to redeem your anger. 
He seeks to redeem it. So first, identify it. Second, apply the gospel. And lastly, just rest in knowing that Jesus seeks to redeem your anger. I still am an angry person, but I'm not nearly as angry as I was 10 years ago. Praise be to Jesus for that. He seeks to redeem it. He will redeem your anger. He is aware of it. He knows it. And he's saying, come to me, lay it down. Let me restore that anger. Not completely remove it from your life, but to redeem it. Transform it it from an anger that breaks down to an anger that builds up. Transforming it from an anger that divides to an anger that unites. Can you imagine that power? And Jesus is desiring this for us. We need the Spirit's help. So let's now ask him for that. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we do desperately need your help in applying these truths from Matthew 5. We all have those things uh, that drive us to anger. Help us to become more aware. Uh, Point out our blind spots. Show us how the good news of Jesus applies to the certain situations. And lead us to a place resting and knowing that you are redeeming. You are active in redeeming our anger. All for our good and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.